0: We're going to get started. We have to talk about the end of the world, and there's a lot to talk about uh, with little time. So uh, let me uh, let me start us with a word of prayer, and then we'll we'll dive in. Lord, I praise you. Uh, there, there's no one like you. You're 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 in control of the beginning and the end, and we can be sure that you will bring all things to completion for your glory and. Lord, I confess that I don't always anticipate the, the coming kingdom like I should. And, and oftentimes we are so focused on the here and now where our minds are set on things below, uh, on things of the earth, and um, Lord, we, we confess that to you. And Lord, I'm thankful for this study, being able to be in this study for the last three weeks. Though it's tormented me at times and it's, it's very difficult, this study, um, it's been so good to um, be reminded of how we should anticipate Uh, your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that these truths and this theology that we study today, it wouldn't um, just lead to head knowledge, but it would lead to um, a change in our actions, that Lord, we would be more like you um, in light of this this study. Thank you so much for, for this time that we have together. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. So some of you are kind of like always back up there again. We're still doing eschatology. How long? Um, this will be the last week. So you only have to endure me one more week, and then I'm out of here. Um, so um, so I, I'm sorry, but it's, it's one more week. And uh, we are going to be in eschatology uh, last week. Um, I'm going to cover as much as I can. Whatever I leave on the table, it's for you to continue and study. Again, this is not an exhaustive study on eschatology. This is more so to whet your appetite, to do theology from home. Theology is not just reserved for us gathering together as a church, but it should be done in your homes, in your living rooms, wherever you do your devos. That's where theology is conducted. Okay, so um, last week we (coughs) finished by speaking... Or, uh, of the kingdom. talked about how the kingdom is is the overarching theme of the, of the scriptures. Um, we talked about um, the, the kingdom being an eternal, uh, that, that God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. right. Psalm 1 of three I believe that, that God's kingdom is eternal but also there's a future aspect to the kingdom presented to us in the scriptures, right? And that's what we talked about last week, the millennial kingdom, which is the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Remember, we read Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7, where six times in seven verses says 1,000-year reign of Christ, 1,000-year reign of Christ, 1,000-year reign of Christ, six times, seven verses, okay? So we talked about the first future phase of God's uh, future Kingdom program, which is the millennial Kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ and then we talked about the second phase which is the eternal state where the New Jerusalem will descend from heaven and um, come down on the earth. Um, literally be heaven on earth. there'll be no longer um, there'll be no longer uh, tears and, and death or, or sin for that matter. Um, we should all crave and long for um, this kingdom program to, to come. And, but I did shortcut us last, uh, last week. We didn't cover the views, and, uh, and we had like four minutes on the clock, and I didn't feel ambitious enough to try to, you know, cover all three of those views in four minutes. And so I'm going to start off this week by doing that. Um, uh, these views are probably views that you've heard before. Maybe you've heard, you know, growing up, me personally, I, I heard, you know, my, my, my dad uh, was an adamant uh, premillennialist. And he would uh, throw punches at anyone who is not a premillennialist, not really throw punches. Um, my dad's a big guy, but he, he, he didn't do it that way. But I mean, it, it, he would have heated conversation. I'd be like, yeah, I'm a premillennialist. I have no idea why I am, um, but I, I'm a premillennialist too, you know. And, and uh, it wasn't until seminary and, uh, that, that I kind of was able to defend it for myself a little bit more. But, uh, you know, the different views, millennial post-millennial, pre-millennial. The prefixes really help you uh, with understanding which one's which. Um, Let's just look at the amillennial view first. Amillennial, the prefix A there before millennial, means no millennial. Okay, And it's not to say that amillennialists don't believe in a kingdom. Um, They absolutely do. They just don't believe in a future thousand-year reign of Christ. They would believe that the kingdom, uh, the millennial kingdom, is presently being fulfilled. They would look at Revelation 21 through 7 as a spiritual kingdom that is presently here with us today. Um, they reject a, a sequential or chronological view of Revelation. Um, if you read the book of Revelation, um, you know, they would, if you've read it before, the way an amillennialist would see it is kind of a, a mash of all, uh, it, just a, a mix or a mash of, of prophetic literature. Okay, That doesn't necessarily have a chronological order to it. For instance, they would look at Revelation 19, the second coming of Christ, taking place um, after Revelation 20, which is the Millennial Kingdom. Okay, So they don't see it as a chrono- uh, chronology. Um, they just see it as, uh, as a mix of, of prophecy. They also believe that Satan is bound now and unable to deceive the nations. Um, so, that, uh, so, so Satan is in the abyss right now. Um, and they believe, again, that the Millennial Kingdom's here. So they, it's kind of interesting. The amillennialists would see that right now in the present time that we live in the tribulation and the Millennial Kingdom all at once and that Satan is bound. Um, my, my problem with the amillennial view is obviously it has a different hermeneutic than, than we would espouse as a church and, and me personally. Um, they, they, they're allegorizing and looking at the text uh, spiritually. Um, where I would take it more literally. Um, Satan's bondage is another, is another problem that I have. You know, they, they, they believe that Satan cannot and will not deceive the nations any longer, that he's bound, he's inactive. But, I mean, there's, there's a lot of text that would suggest otherwise, in, in my opinion. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, right? That the God of this world, being Satan, is, is blinding the minds of the unbelievers. Uh, or you have 1 Peter 5.8 eight right that satan what, what he's 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 likened to what a prowling lion seeking those to, to to devour right that doesn't sound like um someone who's who's bound or locked up or you know thrown in the abyss to me um uh, you have first john 519 talks about satan being the god of this world uh revelation twelve nine is a picture of satan in the tribulational time and how successful he is at deceiving the nations and so I, I don't personally see Satan as currently bound. Um, I read this book recently. Is Joel Beakey is the one that wrote it. It's called Fighting Satan. And Joel Beakey is a respectable uh, theologian. Um, came to Master's uh, our, our school uh, a lot to teach in, on various theologies. But he wrote this. Since the death, he's an amillennialist, since the death and resurrection of Christ, Satan has been bound. God's sentence upon him uh, in Genesis 3.15 has been executed. Revelation 20 verses 1-3 through 3, says that Satan, the great obstacle to the evangelism, uh, evangelization of the nations, can no more deceive them. He can no longer prevent the spread of the gospel among the nations because he has been chained by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, I read this whole book. After reading that, I'm like, you know, this whole book's about fighting Satan. But if Satan's bound now, you know, uh, it, it was, uh, but, so what an amillennialist would say to me, yeah, well, you know, because because honestly, I, I think amillennialism is probably the most popular view, um, es- eschatologically wise. Um, you, you have, I, I would say that we're probably in the minority um, with this. And, um, but, uh, you know, an amillennialist would probably say something along the lines of, uh, they would, they would say, you know, yeah, Satan's bound, but his, his system and his, his, you know, world uh, evil system is still very much in work. His demons are still very much um, working today, even though he's bound. Uh, but I would just, I would disagree. Uh, postmillennial view. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, okay, between postmillennialism and amillennialism. Uh, they, postmillennialists, they would look at the scriptures very much the same way. Um, that uh, symbolically, um, allegorically, uh, they don't believe that revelation is chronological or sequential. Um, big, big. Uh, they believe Satan is bound. Big difference, though, with the amillennial view and the postmillennial view. Postmillennialism expects there to be future, um, future elements of the kingdom uh, to be. Like, for instance, they believe that, that the kingdom is here now, but it's uh, through the church. The church is going to bring about the, the, the kingdom in a, in a whole way where there's going to be peace and prosperity here um, on earth. And it's really up to the church, through the, uh, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, for the kingdom to be established. And so they believe that as time passes on, that the world is going to get better and that the church is going to establish the kingdom here on earth through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, for, for for this one, you know, my problems with this, I, personally, there's I don't see any biblical evidence that supports the world getting better before Christ comes back. I, I find it to be quite the opposite. I mean, you look at Revelation six through eighteen, which talks about the tribulation um, to come. Uh, you, you look at if somebody could read these texts for me, uh, 2 Timothy three one. Uh, somebody take that one. 2 Timothy three twelve through thirteen. Somebody could take that one, and Luke eighteen eight. Somebody read those texts for me. Mhm. Second Timothy three twelve to thirteen. Somebody got 2 Timothy three, twelve to thirteen for me. Teamwork The desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Mm-hmm. Luke eighteen eight. Yeah, which I believe is to say that when Jesus comes back, there will be few that do have faith in Him. Um, That'd be my interpretation. Again, these are I have I have dear brothers and and sisters in Christ that are amillennialists, postmillennialists. This is not a salvific issue. It is not a reason to throw haymakers at one another. Not a hill to die on. uh, Just difference in interpretation. Uh, We, as a church, we espouse the premillennial view. Uh, we see that Revelation is, the book of Revelation is sequential, it's chronological. Um, if you read Revelation, um, you'll see the Apostle John write in such a way, um, he uses time, chronological time markers when he says, you know, and then I saw this, and then I saw this, and then I saw this, and then I saw this. Um, and, and so we would see that Jesus' second coming in Revelation 19, 11 to 21, comes before Jesus' uh, Jesus's earthly reign on earth. Uh, in Revelation twenty one to seven, we also believe that Satan's uh, bondage is future, right? Um, that it will take place before the, the millennial reign, uh, which I believe is in twenty one to three, somewhere around there. Uh, this, the 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 uh, bondage of Satan, and uh, again, it's a lot of this goes into hermeneutics, how we uh, translate and interpret the scriptures. Uh, we we set the table with hermeneutics a couple weeks back. Um, so we would look at a literal kingdom a literal physical reign of Christ a literal bondage of Satan but but not to miss the point you know after the 1000 year reign of Christ you know if you look at uh 1 Corinthians 15 24 to 28 you you see that 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 Christ will hand over the keys to the father and uh, that that passage is the same passage that that talks about Adam the, the first Adam right the first Adam who uh, ruled and had authority over the animals and things, um, and, and Romans 5 tells us that the first Adam, what did he bring? He brought death, and because of death, sin reigned, right? And with the second Adam, the last Adam, you know, Christ, what would he bring? Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he'd bring life, and, and we anticipate, again, one day, Jesus reigning and righteousness reigning, and I believe that righteousness will reign in the, during the millennial kingdom, and I believe it will reign all the more in the eternal state when Jesus hands over the keys. And, and uh, you know, what an amazing thought when God's glory, when, when, when you know, the, the question, why? Why eschatology? What's the point of eschatology? It's to bring glory to Christ. It's to bring glory to the Lord, right, for who he is and what he's done. You know, God's glory will be our light in the eternal state. And it's something again that we should uh, greatly anticipate. So that's the kingdom. Um, I, I wanna—I don't want to leave you this class. Um, I, I don't want to leave without talking about some of the some of the uh, other themes and and events and persons that deal with eschatology. I made a list there on your outline. It's not an exhaustive list. There are some certainly things that I could have put on this list that I didn't. If you have questions that I I I'm not going to cover. Um, I'm going to take a vacation tomorrow, which is perfectly time, and you could always ask those to the elders or, or that guy back there, Pastor Dan. He has all of the answers when it comes to eschatology, uh, I'm sure. But um, the kingdom is, is an important piece of the pie, but it's just one piece. And so I want to cover some of these other things that I think that would be important for you to con- you know, start to study. I- I'd like to in this to an introduction of eschatology. Uh, I just want to start throwing some of these terms at you. And, you know, personally, just to let you know, I, um, this study has, has tormented me a bit, you know. I've, I've really been studying uh, um, these things great, more greater than, than I've ever done before. Um, I, uh, I just have started uh, reading uh, Revelation and writing down questions. And I would encourage you to do the same. Write down your questions. Study theology. It's important. Um, you know, again, for all the reasons that it gives you hope, it, it helps you depend on the Lord, um, you know, it helps you in trials, uh, looking, it gives you hope, it, it it promotes holy living, uh, for all those reasons. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk you, uh, through is Daniel 70 weeks, which is a really difficult topic, and, and, and in and of itself could probably take multiple weeks, um, and I say that just so that you give me some grace on that, uh, honestly, but uh, people call it the, the key to biblical prophecy, so it's really important. Uh, talking, uh, I, I do plan on this this uh, fall, this school year to talk uh, or take the kids, the youth, through the book of Daniel, which I'm really excited about. I've got some really good resources that I want to read between now and, and then, uh, but I think it's a, a great book to, to take the kids through. It's obviously profitable because it's a book of scripture, and all scripture is profitable. Um, but... Uh, uh, if you guys can, turn over to Daniel nine twenty-four through twenty-seven. And that's where this this seventy weeks is mentioned. Daniel nine twenty-four to twenty-seven. <coughs> yeah, and this, this text, I mean it, it just again. Points to how, how difficult prophecy is. Um, not only is it prophetic, but there's math math included in this, um, and math is really hard for me too. So, uh, but it, but it is important. So let me let me let me read that for us. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the world to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in uh, a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an uh, anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to uh, come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, uh, desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of a week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come the one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Whoo! Um, this is a text that Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle John all allude to. They all talk about it. And these are texts that you can write down and study later. Matthew twenty four fifteen. 2 Second Thessalonians 2, uh, 2 Thessalonians two and Revelation uh, chapters eleven to thirteen, um, and, and context is always important. Context is always key. Uh, Daniel in this text, he's aware that the Babylonian captivity is going to come to an end because of Jeremiah's prophecy, uh, which there's a couple that that he could have pulled from. But Jeremiah twenty five twelve, for instance, says after seventy years are completed, I will publish or not publish, I will punish the king of Babylon, I handwrote wrote this, um, but uh, that, that, that the, the, the king of Babylon will be punished after 70 years, so he's anticipating the end to come, also some further context, uh, something helpful would be Leviticus 25, uh, the last time you read Leviticus 25, I'm sure you picked this up, but it, it says, yeah, it tells us that every seventh year the Israelites were called to give the land rest. So there was no harvest to be done in the seventh year. Um, But on 70 occasions, Israel failed to give the land rest. So the 70-year Babylonian captivity would have provided that time for the land to receive rest uh, from from, uh, harvesting. In Daniel 9, 3 through, through 19, Daniel prays on behalf of the sinful people, his sinful people Israel. And, and then we have a, the angel Gabriel giving this prophecy to Daniel, the one that we just read. So if we look at that prophecy, we see 70 weeks uh, here in, in verse 24. Now, 70 weeks in the Hebrew, okay, literally means 77s. This is where it gets a little dicey or saucy with the, the numbers and the math, okay? So, so bear with me. If you have any questions, Pastor Dan, okay? Or I mean, you know, I'll give you some resources or things. But but seventy weeks in this text literally means seventy sevens, or seventy times seven, which equals if I did the math right, four hundred and ninety. Now the question is, four hundred and ninety what? Okay, four hundred and ninety what? Years, days, months? I think years makes the most sense. Four hundred and ninety years are in view here, uh, due to the Sabbath years that were violated by Israel. Uh, if it'd be anything else, it'd be it'd come up short, days and and months. But when we look at Daniel nine twenty four, and and hang with me here, because I think we're, we're gonna we're gonna re talk about this, you know, throughout the lecture. But when when uh, we we'll revisit this, but when we look at Daniel nine twenty four, we see first. The dealing with sin in Israel—it's it's promised the transgression will be finished. There will be an end to sin. There will be an atonement for iniquity. These are all things that Jesus provided in His first coming, right? But for Israel, it's future, right? Because Israel's hearts are still hardened towards um, towards the Lord, right? They they reject Jesus as their Savior. And then the last three things in verse 24 that, that are promised deal with developing the kingdom. Okay? We see a righteousness of the Messiah's kingdom to come and the fulfillments of all the, the prophecies and scriptures and, and the anointing of the temple in Jerusalem. And so the, the 70 weeks or the 490 years begin with rebuilding Jerusalem as we see in, in Daniel 9.25. This was most likely fulfilled, I think, in 445 B.C. when King Artaxerxes decreed that Jews could return and build Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and and Nehemiah too, okay? Now, altogether, from Artaxerxes' decree to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is 483 years, just leaving us seven years left, okay? And and Daniel 9.26 says that after the 62 weeks, which in the translation in the Hebrew, it's really 69 weeks, the anointed should be cut off and have nothing. And so my question to you is, what happens after Jesus enters Jerusalem? Just a few days later, what? He's crucified, right? He's crucified. Now, if you look at the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus' first and second coming, hardly ever was there ever a distinction between his first and second coming. A lot of his disciples expected for Jesus to set up and establish the kingdom. But when 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 he's crucified, right, we don't see... We don't see the kingdom established. We don't see an everlasting righteousness, right? Um, we, we, we see the anointed one, as the text says in, in, in uh, Daniel 24 through 27 here. We see the, the Messiah cut off, and, and, he, and he doesn't have those things established. Uh, verse 26 predicts the destruction of the temple, which happens in AD 70 by the Roman invasion. Then we get to Rome, uh, Daniel 9.27 which talks about this evil prince, the Antichrist, who will come when there's seven years left. And this is believed to be, I think, the tribulation period. Uh, and the Antichrist will make a pact at the beginning with Israel. He'll break this pact with Israel at halftime in the tribulation, and then he'll terrorize the nation of Israel for the last half. Uh, but what, from the text, Can you? can anybody answer this question? What from the text eventually happens to the desolator, the Antichrist? He's destroyed, right? Verse 27. He's destroyed. Um, so where are we now? If there's still one week left, I believe that there's a gap between, uh, between the, the cutting off and the, and the destruction of, of the temple to now. And the tribulation with one week left, we're still waiting for that 70th week for the tribulation um, to, to, to come. And so, I, again, that, that was that's kind of a lot, I know. Uh, some of you are like, "What?" Uh, I'm sure, but that, that's a really important uh, biblical prophecy that I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit as we go throughout this lecture. Okay, uh, I'm sure there, there's some questions there, but but stay with me. Uh, the next thing on the list I want to talk about is the rapture. It's another hotly debated discussion that can be had with this. Um, you know, what is the rapture? When is the rapture? Uh, the word in the Greek is har, har, uh, harpezo, Greek. Greek uh, students, Harpezo, Harpazo, is it, do I put the Adzo? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's Adzo. Yeah, right, okay. Uh, I'm just going to say it a few times, so I didn't want to, like nail, nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, there we go. But uh, the, the word means to subtly move or snatch away, to be caught up. Um, I, I, did, uh, I did a quick study of the word Harpazo, and it is also used in the New Testament to, to plunder or remove and some key texts that I want you to write down um, are, are 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. And that's the text where Paul is caught up to the third abode, the third heaven. Okay, the word harpazo is used uh, there for that. Uh, Revelation 12, 5, where Jesus ascends, the word harpazo is used for that. A big text for the rapture that, that you should definitely have in your arsenal, if you're going to talk about the rapture, study it, is 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, to 17. Um, the, the 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 only thing with that text is it doesn't really talk about the when when it when it concerns the rapture, okay. But but the word harpazo is there and it's a very good text um, to discuss when talking about the rapture. And then 1 Corinthians fifteen fifteen uh, f- excuse me First Corinthians fifteen fifty one to fifty two I believe also talks about the rapture. Um, the only thing with that text is it doesn't use the word harpazo, okay. Uh, but those would be the, the, the best texts that I, that I would use. And there are others that, that, that use the word harpazo in a different, in a different way. Um, but there are four views concerning the rapture and when it takes place. You have pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and pre-wrath. They all kind of relate to when the tribulation, you believe, takes place. Um, pre-trib is J.I.B.C.'s view. It's my view as well. It um, believes that the church will be raptured before the tribulation or the period of time that God pours out his wrath and, um, you know, I, in the last few weeks, as I've been studying eschatology um, a little bit more in depth, I've, been, uh, I've talked to num- a number of people and asked them about this. And, um, you know, several people are like, I think that several people within our church, uh, it's kind of like more wishful thinking than anything else. It's like, well, I hope, like I'm, I'm pre-trib because I hope that's like, I hope we don't have to endure God's wrath. It's kind of like that way. You know, it's just wishful thinking. Um, that that we you know they hope not to endure their wrath to, to come, but I think it's more than wishful thinking. I think what the scriptures promise us uh, is is um, well. If somebody could re- look up 1 Thessalonians one nine through ten for me, and Revelation three ten. Somebody could look those references up for me. 1 Thessalonians one nine through ten and Revelation three ten. <coughs> When you got them, just shout them out. First Thessalonians, text first. Right, and then Revelation 3.10. Yeah, so I, I believe it's more than wishful thinking. I, I don't believe that, that God is is destining the church for wrath. Um, I think a reward of the church, being faithful, is to miss the time of tribulation. A uh, text that I didn't have you read um, that I've committed to memory is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10 and 11. But, but that, that text says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord who died for us. You know, he didn't destine the church for wrath. He saved it from facing God's wrath. And so in my view, my understanding of this is that God um, would, would not have us experience that, that wrath, of, of, the, of the wrath of the tribulation. Um, and, and we'll talk about the tribulation next. Um, just to discuss these next views real quickly. Uh, mid-trib believes the church will be raptured at, at halftime in the tribulation uh, ha- or halfway through that that's seven weeks, if we refer back to Daniel's uh, 70 weeks. mid don't see the first half as being a divine wrath of God, but they more so see the first half of the tribulation being um, a wrath uh, from, from man or, or Satan, and then the second half is more divine in, 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 with the wrath. Post-trib, the church doesn't rapture uh, until the very end of the tribulation, and that takes place with Jesus' second coming. And pre-wrath believes the rapture takes place between midpoint and the second coming. Church will miss the major uh, wrath of God, the trumpets and the bowl judgments. Um, If you read Revelation 6 through 18, which talks about the tribulations to come, one thing that you won't find in, in Revelation 6 through 18 is the word church. It's not there okay, and, and, and it's, it, I, I just, I don't, I, have a, I would have a hard time, it's not that, you know, hey, if we're in the tribulation, we'll trust in the Lord all the more, right, and we'll hope, and, and we know that he will bring all things, we'll, we'll, you know, he'll bring his kingdom eventually, but, and, and I still believe tribulation, uh, tribulational saints, you know, those who are saved in the tribulation, their affliction will be light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory, okay, uh, but I, uh, I have a hard time still. I, I just don't think that God destined us for, for wrath. He saved us from his wrath. Um, and, and the time of tribulation is a distinguished time of, of God's wrath. Uh, so let's talk about the tribulation. Tribulation. In John 16, Jesus promised his followers that they would face tribulation. And many of them did as they died and suffered for Christ. Right? We, we face trials and tribulations. Right? We face hardships. But the trials, or the tribulation, the time of tribulation to come is a unique time of tribulation, I believe. You know, if you look at Matthew 24, verse 21, uh, Jesus spoke of a a greater tribulation to come. That text says, Matthew 24, 21 says, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not been uh, from the, the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Okay, so I I would see the the tribulation to come as a distinguished, different tribulation than anything we've ever experienced before. Um, and, And to just put it simply, the tribulation is a period of divine judgments before the return of Christ and the establishment of Christ's millennial kingdom on earth. And to take it back to the Daniel 70 weeks, Daniel 927, right? Daniel 70 weeks, we believe the tribulation will last six literal years, okay? Um, in terms of biblical, uh, biblical eschatology, there's no biblical uh, event that's mentioned as much as the tribulation is mentioned. Key texts that you could write down and study later, Matthew chapters 24 and 25. This is regarding the tribulation. Mark 13, Luke 21, Revelation 6 through 19. And again, due to the, D- the Daniel's prophecy, it's believed that for the first half of the tribulation, there were... There, there'll, there'll be a covenant between the Antichrist and Israel. And, but at the halfway mark, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will declare to be God. And the halfway event launches Israel into severe persecution. Um, so in Revelation 6 to 19, when it talks about the tribulation, you'll see different judgments of God. The bowls, the trumpets, the, what's the last one? The seals. Okay, I said that wrong. Seals, trumpets, and bowls, which are big judgments of God that only intensify as the tribulation goes on. Um, The seal and judgments, if I just go through these quick, the seal and judgments include the arrival of the Antichrist, war, famine, death, martyrdom, an earthquake. And it's believed that at that earthquake, the inhabitants of, of the tribulation will know that God is pouring out his wrath on them. Um, And then you have the seven trumpets, which include one-third of the earth being burned up, one-third of the sea creatures and the ships destroyed, one-third of uh, the waters and pollutions, uh, and, and, excuse me, the waters being polluted and and many die. Uh, The fourth trumpet, you have the sun, moon, and stars being darkened. The fifth, you have... Uh, locusts and demons released to torment people. You have six the the one third bound demons released to kill one third of humanity, and then Christ's uh, kingdom reign is is proclaimed in the last trumpet, and then that you have the last the, and the later tribulation uh, judgments, which is the most severe, the bull judgments, and, and that's there's. You know, it talks about painful sores coming on people. Sea becomes like blood and all sea, leaf, uh, sea life dies. The rivers and waters turn to blood. Sun scorches people with, with fire and heat. The darkness and intense pain afflicts humanity. The Euphrates River dries up. And the last one, severe earthquakes split the city into three parts. Cities fall. Huge hail drops from heaven. What on earth? Okay? You know, like maybe, thinking about all these things, Wow. You know, the tribulation sounds like a very, very intense time. And I think the big question that we need to answer is, when we talk about the tribulation, is what's the point of the tribulation? I think it serves two points, or two purposes. To one, save Israel, okay? Jeremiah 37 says, alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. You know, sometimes God has to bring us so low, it, 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 so much, so so low. In that, all we can do is look up. You know, and He's going to do that with Israel. He's going to uh, pour out His wrath on Israel, His people, to in order to bring a remnant to Himself, and also He's going to do it to judge the unbelieving world. Isaiah twenty-four verse one says, "Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and He will twist its surface and scatter." Its inhabitants. You know, thinking about have you ever have you ever been here where like you're driving uh, on the highway or something and somebody cuts you off, and you're just like I- I've been here before, sinfully. you are like, man, I hope this person gets theirs. I hope they get pulled over and they get the uh, the biggest fattest ticket you know that you could you could offer. You know, I want justice, justice, southern justice. We need justice. Um, or you know, when I was a kid, my brother. Um, when he would, my older brother, when he would annoy me, you know, I, I would, and my mom was close by, I would just, Mike, stop hitting me, you know, like one of these, and she would like then take him and, you know, spank him, and, which would make me happy at first, because like, I got that, you know, like, you know, I, he got in trouble, but, but then after the wailing, uh, and he faced my mom's wrath, um, I would, I'd feel sad, you know, I'd be broken that, that I, I did that to my brother, there was a little bit of guilt there, and, um, and, and I think in all seriousness, when it comes to the tribulation or these end times, again, uh, this isn't just head knowledge stuff, it, it should, knowing that God will pour out his wrath, that God is ho- a holy God, and a just God, and a righteous God, that he's going to deal with sin uh, seriously one day, it should provoke our desire to point lives to Jesus Christ, right? To tell all about Christ. Uh, part of what prophecy does is it warns the unbeliever and it should provoke us to tell others about Christ. Because without Christ saving wretched people like you and me, we'd be right there with them, deserving this, every bit of this. One of the guys that I, I talked to from church, I'll, I'll leave his name uh, a mystery, but he said to me, You know, I just feel like I deserve the tribulation. I feel like I just deserve to be, like, I feel like, you know, though I hope that we skip the tribulation, if it were to take place in our lifetime, I just feel like I just, I deserve to be there. But don't we all, right? Don't we all deserve God's wrath being poured out on us? And that's just how amazing God's grace is, right? That he would save any of us. Um, The next thing I want to move to uh, is actually a person, the Antichrist, um, the representative of Satan, the embodiment of evil. First uh, John two eighteen. Can somebody read that text for me? Hopefully we're. I, I know this. I'm, there's a lot of stating a matter of fact where we are and things. Hang in there. We're, we got like twelve minutes left. There is an end to the end uh, lecture here. First John two eighteen. Somebody got that for me. One John two eighteen. Thanks, thanks, brother. My bad. Go ahead. So sorry. Yeah. Anyone who speaks falsely about Christ is an antichrist, right? But there's there's a distinguished uh, there's a distinguishment between the antichrist and small a antichrist. The antichrist is said to make Again, if we refer back to Daniel 9.27, he's, he's said to make a peace treaty with Israel. Uh, I know I've already said this, but repetition is the key to learning, uh, and that's a really hard passage. But um, it's said to, be, uh, to make a peace treaty with Israel, claim to be their Messiah. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.4 um, says that the Antichrist proclaims himself to be God, but then... Um, uh, persecutes Israel halfway through the tribulation, breaking the covenant with Israel, desolating the temple. He's described to be the little horn in Daniel. If you read the book of Daniel, he's the, the apostle Paul refers to him as the man of lawlessness. John describes him to be the beast empowered by Satan. And Republicans, you know, uh, attribute him to be any anybody like Democrat, uh, de- any Democrat they don't like. You know, uh, you hear that often. Any political figure that just is awful. Um, can oftentimes be called the Antichrist. Um, this figure is, in the scriptures, seen to be terrifying uh, and frightening. But look at how the Antichrist dies. If, we, if you were to look at 2 Thessalonians 2.8, it says, And then the lawless one, uh, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. We can be sure, even though he, he looks like a big, bad, strong, frightening, terrifying figure, that, you know, Jesus will slay him. And you see it from this text, that the breath of his mouth, it says. And it's not like me. Like, if you guys were to come up just out of my love for you, you know, if you come and talk to me afterwards about this or anything, just stay your distance, because my breath stinks. Uh, it's, I got straight-up coffee breath right now, and I could just drop anyone with this breath. But that's not what's being obviously said here in the scriptures. Jesus doesn't just kill uh, Satan with his bad breath or anything like that. Um, but it's his, it's his it's his appearance that that you know Jesus's appearance alone slays the Antichrist, which shows you what that that who compares to Jesus Christ? No one. There's no creature. There's no figure that can compare to him. Uh, ultimately, we shouldn't fear anyone but Christ. Right, um, and, and I think that gives us a tremendous amount of hope because there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear in, in political figures that seem real great and real frightening and, and like they have a lot of control and power. But ultimately, who has the power? Who, 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 is, who is superior, supreme to all else? It's Christ. Jesus, at his return, will throw the beast, the Antichrist, into the lake of fire and his fate is sealed, Revelation 19. 20. All right. Uh, Moving along. The day of the Lord. Almost there, guys. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, the writers write about the day of the Lord as a near event, but also as a faraway eschatological event. 19 times in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord's reference. The day of the Lord is associated with God's wrath, Uh, it's not the same as the tribulation. Uh, but rather it's seen as a climax event in the tribulation. It has different names to it, too, as well. It's called the Day of Vengeance in Isaiah and Jeremiah. It's called the Day of Wrath in Romans. It's called the Day of Visitation in 1 Peter. Uh, It's called the Great Day of of God, the Almighty, in Revelation. And if you think about it, since Genesis 3, this world's been fallen to sin. Uh, and, And sin's been here a long time, but God will eventually deal with this broken world. By pouring out his wrath again on the world, and eventually establish his kingdom. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Day of the Lord was a historical event to prefigure the day to come. It involved a, a locust plague, as we see in Joel one. But if you, if we had a lot more time, you know, Joel two and three talk about a, a distinguished day of the Lord to come, of greater wrath. Um, The New Testament speaks of the Day of the Lord being a climax in the tribulation period. It also speaks of a time that God incinerates the earth and and making the end uh, uh, and marking the end uh, of the thousand year reign of Christ. And that that text, I I wish I had time, but Second Peter three ten to thirteen will talk about that that text. Um, Again, you know, I I I wanted to talk more about this, but the, the holiness of God. The holiness of God. God can only and will only tolerate sin being here for so long. And then he will purge it one day. And we should look again forward to that day. The last, the last event I want to talk about, the second coming of Christ. Praise God that He's coming back again. Yes? This is something that we should all agree on, despite whatever millennial view we have or rapture view we have, uh, our take on the Daniel 70 weeks. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The second coming of Jesus will put an end to this present age and an end to Daniel's 70 weeks, the tribulation. And the second coming of Christ is the great transition from an evil age to an age ruled by Christ's righteousness. Key texts to study this age or this time, this event, the second coming of Christ, would be Matthew 25, 31, John 14, 3, Acts 1, 9 through 11, Psalm 110, 1 to 2, and Zechariah 14. And I believe that there are two phases of the the second coming of Christ. The first phase is at the rapture of the church, and the second phase is the end of the tribulation to establish his 1,000-year reign on earth. Um. Though we don't know the exact time of Jesus' second coming, we should eagerly await his coming. Uh, just as, as, as Hebrews 9:28 says, um, says He didn't come to He's not going to come the second time to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly waiting, are waiting for Him. And, and my question to ask you in your, in your hearts this morning: are, do you anticipate Christ's second coming? You know, oftentimes I joke around, you know, my, my daughter, I've, I've got a daughter. Um, which is awesome, but also terrifying, you know, I, I work with youth, and so it, I, I see what, what that can be, what that looks like, boys, you know, uh, you know, I'm thankful, I, he's, she's got an older brother, um, but, you know, Jesus, Lord, come quickly, you know, as Maranatha, you know, I, I, I say it, um, but but you know you turn on the news you turn on everything it it, it should wear us down it should be uh, it should it should really cause us to to look again forward and to anticipate Jesus' coming uh, to 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 see righteousness rule and reign on earth we should desire this and and I would I would submit to you a text that's it's it's worthy of your uh your your uh, memory to memorize Colossians three one through four that's a great text. To, to, to remind yourself of, because again, we, we can find ourselves being so here and now, thinking on things of the earth, uh, and not thinking uh, with a kingdom mindset. It's so easy to get bogged down in, in, in all of the details of this life, and all the injustices, and all the evil of this life. Um, there, there's a lot of material out there to fix our minds on things below. But, but let me encourage you with that, that text, to fix your mind on things above. And again, I said this already today, but talking about end times should provoke our desire to evangelize. You Because know, we know that after Christ's return, after his 1,000-year reign, that the great white throne judgment will take place, and this is where unbelievers will stand before the Almighty God and be judged. It's the final court hearing in, in history, and they'll be judged based on their works, and it's, where, uh, it's, it's there where they'll face their final sentencing. And so the, the, there's uh, souls, souls are at stake. And we should have a desire to tell others about about Christ. Again, this was an exhaustive, uh, I tried to shove in as much as possible, and I apologize for some of, I, it wasn't as, as teachable um, as I probably wanted it to be. And I really struggled with that these last three three or four days, how I was going to present this. Um, it's a pretty pretty big subject, but hopefully... There are things that, you know, I said today that you can write down and you can go and attack later. If you are looking for resources, I would love to give you any any resources that, that will help you in your search and your study. Um, but uh, would somebody close us in a word of prayer? <laughs> Paul, will you close us?